It seems like that was a winner video, huh? Um, sometimes I pick them and you guys are like, that one is terrible. I'm like, all right, well. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, I, this, was, this was accidental as well as, uh, um, as, well as uh, a little bit of on purpose now. So um, do you guys hear me out there all right? So uh, I want to say uh, good morning again and happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers in here, all those that are helping be fathers to those out there. Just really thank you so much uh, for all that you do and all of the things that you make people laugh about and uh, all of the just just all of that stuff. And so um, I want to I have one announcement. Uh, we have lots of things that are going on. I'd encourage you to go on the app. I'd encourage you to go on our website. If you're watching at home, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Take a look and see what we have going on. Uh, this Friday, though, this Friday, we are showing Dr. Strange here. So the new uh, the new one. And so obviously uh, it's not a movie screen, but it is uh, it, it's pretty close to that. And the sound is pretty awesome in here as well. So uh, we would love to have you join us for that. We are going to, so, uh, and we promise to get you out of here in time for you to go do whatever you want to do afterwards if you're one of those people. Anyway, so um, we're in this series called Chasing Carrots, um, and uh, I have a new line for you. We're not going to say invite a friend anymore. That's, that's kind of a line that's from, from time past. We're going to say bring a friend with you. So bring a friend. You know, don't invite, because inviting obviously doesn't work. Just go pick them up, and if you have to do it like they do, if you've ever seen, uh, if you saw Old School, the movie Old School, you know, he pulled up next to them in the car, in the parking lot, and he pulled up in a van, and they snatched him and grabbed him. That, you can do that too. I won't say anything. They'll never get me to testify against you, by the way. So, so yeah, the whole room, you got all kinds of alibi in here. They'd be like, no, he was here. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so uh, bring a friend. Uh, and if you're at home, you can bring a friend too with you to, to your house, watch it on TV there. And so chasing carrots, and, and it's the pursuit of more, right? And so we, we had a circumstance that caused a shift for me to go into this, and this is kind of what we've been going. Last week we talked about this continual pursuit of comfort, you know, this like, hey, we just want to be, we, we want to be comfortable, we want, and, uh, and then next week, and I'm sorry to tell you this, we're going to talk about this continual pursuit of hate. We continue to hate things, and we hate we hate, you know, we'll, you'll hear it's a very, very quick word that comes out of people is I hate this, I hate this thing, I, I hate this type of people, I hate these things, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. Um, last, you know, as we've been kind of talking about the, this, 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 this pursuit of acquisitions, this goods, so, you know, we have, or today we're going to talk about this pursuit of perfectionism. You know, some of us, we are always after being perfect, right? You know, like, here's this. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I'm always after being perfect in certain things, right? You know, I, I, like, I'm almost over the top on certain things. And so, I know, like, the my staff, you hear them going, yeah, that's yeah. what's... And so... I, I, and it's not, and so here's the thing, is that like it, it really, really can be disturbing certain times. So if I can't fix something, like if it's a technological issue and I can't fix it, I will keep plugging away at it until I fix it. Like this morning, I had all this other stuff to get ready for, like to get ready for service, but I couldn't figure out there was something wrong with our screen. And I said, we're not going to go anywhere until I fix this. And so as I plug away and I plug away, and I, like today, I was like noticing it, that the words are cut off on the bottom. I was like, hmm. I didn't fix it quite right. I was like, I got to do some more work. And so, but, but that, that's how my mind works. See, here's the other thing with my faith. And anybody in here, are you a recovering Catholic? Any recovering Catholics here? See, as a recovering Catholic, I had this problem where I thought that I had to be perfect in order for God to like me. I thought that if I wasn't perfect, God wouldn't accept me, God wouldn't take who I was, God, it would just be one of these things that I was always banished to hell because I was imperfect. And so I always would have, you know, that's the reason why you would show up to confession, and if you've never done confession, it is a terrible thing because you're supposed to do it anonymously, but if you know the pastor, it's not anonymous, right? You get in there, he hears your voice, you hear his voice, you go, hey, how you doing, Father Stu? And he goes, everything is perfect. How is it, what, what are we going to talk about today? And it's like a counseling session with somebody through a curtain. And so it's just not, you know, it's just different. And so you still feel like all your stuff is out there in the middle of the street. 
and you still feel that you, you're carrying this burden with you. When our kids mess up, anybody ever say this line? It's okay. Nobody's perfect. Right? Isn't it? Have we ever done that? When our kids mess up, we tell them all the time, oh, don't worry about it. Like I tell my son, don't worry about it, buddy. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. The problem is we don't give that same grace to ourselves. We don't give that same grace to ourselves. When we, when we mess up, it, it, we beat ourselves up. We'll go home and with feelings of shame and unworthiness, and instead of going, ah, nobody messes up, we go, oh, no, I'm such a terrible, terrible person. And I know that some of you don't do that, right? You know, some of you just go home, you're like, I shook it off. You know, you just play the Taylor Swift song, shake it off, baby, and you walk away from it. You're like, I'm all good. That's not how all of us work, though. Some of us, we're, we, we have that, we carry that. And to make matters worse, Jesus gives us something. He says this in Matthew 5, 43. He says, be perfect. That's what he says. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All of a sudden, you're thrown into this state of confusion because you, you listen to what Paul says. Paul says, we talk about a state of grace. We talk about forgiveness. We talk, Jesus comes out and says, oh, no, 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 no. You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. And so that creates this whole mindset there. And there's no pleasure there, right? There's, there's nothing there. And, and, I, and I know that it's Father's Day, but today I'm going to start with moms, right? Because I think moms carry this worse than fathers do, right? Moms carry a burden that fathers don't carry. Fathers carry a different burden. And so I want to just kind of talk about a lot of this. And so, you know, we always talk about the the Susie homemaker, right? Or the, the whoever that is. And we, we want to have these Pinterest worthy homes and an Instagram. That's your, your house. You have to be able to, when people walk into your house, they have to be able to take a, an Instagram photo. And that's an unrealistic expectation, but that's the mindset that we carry. That you walk in and be like, I need to, have, I need to be able to do this. You gotta, uh, you're always expected to take the kids to the zoo. Where, where is your zoo? You know, where, where, where's that picture at? What do you mean you're not doing crafts with your kids every day? What do you mean that you didn't throw this elaborately themed birthday party? What, I don't understand. What do you mean just a bounce house and, and, you know, and, and some cake? I don't understand it. And you're supposed to do all of this while still having a successful career. You're supposed to keep all of your hobbies, hang out with all of your girls, do all of those things, post on Facebook, and work out five times a week. Right? Isn't that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to him. He's like, he's like don't forget to do the dishes. No, 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 no. Yeah, you know, and see... See, like, you go, I've got to feed the kids kale and organic, you know, all, you know, whatever it is, right? Organic carrots. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My kids like Oreos and Cheetos. So, you know, you're not, it's not, you're not working out with all this other stuff. And so you have to kind of get through this. You're supposed to pray for an hour a day. And then if you're, if, if, if you're breastfeeding, you got to pump three times a day. You got to still, you know, all, I mean, it's just like, how do you keep up all this? The moms have it rough, right? <laughs> no, I can't do it again. I'm sorry. I can't do it again. I can't. I cannot confirm that from. And by the way, though, it's all recorded, so you can just go back and just cut that little. You know, see, that's gonna be it. Everything's posted. Moms have it rough. That's you know. But that should be hashtag. Moms have it rough. That's it. You know. And see, here's the thing. You go. How do I have time to do laundry? How do I have this? How do I read books? How do I give baths? How do I do all of this and still maintain everything? It, it, see, and then. You have this line where people make you feel guilty if you stay home, right? Oh, you stay home? You're a stay-at-home mom? You don't provide? You don't do... Or you should be providing. You should be doing this. You should be, you know, and, <laughs> and instead of them going, wow, you're blessed. It's awesome. I wish I had it like, you know, like, mm, something's wrong. It's your house. Now, now for guys, you know, that's actually a most of us problem, by the way. It's not just a mom's problem. That's actually a most of us problem. You just take the circumstances and make them a little differently. Like for us, you have this expectation. As a guy, you're expected, you better have a job. And you better do it this way. And you better provide this much amount of money. You know, the funny thing is, what's the first thing that we talk about with somebody? When we meet them, we'll say, hey, I'm Mike and you're so-and-so. And so-and-so, what do you do? What do you do? And you're like, wait a minute. Why am I defined by the job that I carry rather than by who I am and who sees who I am and who I am as a child of God. 
right? We, we are defined by the job that we have. And when you tell them, oh, well, you know, like <laughs> if you've ever met anybody that happens to be in their 40s, is already retired, living on, living on the big island, has all this stuff, and you sit there and you go, you go, how did they do this? How did this happen? And you start feeling like, how do I do it too, right? You start trying to figure out how your get rich scheme is. What are you going to do in order to make it to where you can do what they did? And all of a sudden we get into this comparison trap and we go, I can never do it because I work at this job or I do this thing or I do that. And see, really the expectation as a man, I just want you to be really, really clear. Any place that God has put you, right? Any place God has put you, whether that's the fry guy at McDonald's or the CEO of McDonald's, it doesn't matter where he puts you at, you should work not as if you're getting your paycheck from McDonald's, but you should be working as if your paycheck comes from God. Because you should be given 100%. Because I promise you, if you're 100% the fry guy, right? 100% the fry guy, you're moving up. You're going to be 100% the cashier real fast. And then you'll be 100%, you'll be 100% the, the, the assistant manager, and then you'll be 100% the, the store manager, and then you'll be 100% the regional manager. If you gave it your all, if you gave it to what God asked you to do, and you acted as if you were doing it for God, rather than going, I'm after this, you know, when I started working, maybe you can, some of you can relate, my first job, I made three seventy-five an hour. <sighs> three, three seventy-five an hour. We hired a teenager yesterday or the day but last week sometime, and we're paying them $15 an hour. I go, I don't understand, like, you know, 16 years old, take, making $15 an hour. I go, do you know what I would have done if I was 15 or 16 years old with that type of money? I, I probably would have gotten a whole lot more trouble than what I did. I, I, to be honest with you, if I had that type of money, I would have gotten a whole lot more trouble. But see, that's the thing, though, is that we have these expectations that are put upon us and all of a sudden we're trying to live in this perfection. So I, I went off on my little rabbit trail. I apologize for that. I'm going to bring it back in here. We're going to get back into perfection. <laughs> There's three types of perfectionists, right? And so some of you, some of you might relate to one or more of these, right? Number one, you're a self-oriented perfectionist. Yeah. This is me. I just want you to know. You hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself and you battle with your feelings of guilt, often oppressing it to the point of inefficiency, and you're prone to procrastinate and struggle with three deep feelings of inadequacy. That's me. I'm just telling you right now. I leave here every Sunday, I go home, I watch the message the next day, and I go, man, I really did suck last night, you know, or yesterday, or whatever. And it could be one of the best messages I deliver, but I am my own worst critic, and I, and I just beat myself on it. Now, some of you, you may be the externally oriented perfectionist. You believe others expect you to be perfect. To cope with the pressure, you often use self-depreciating humor as a defense. I do some of this as well, by the way, but not as bad as the other thing. You often feel alone, depressed, desperate because you know you will never be enough. Hmm. Tough, right? And then here's the last one, others-oriented perfectionist. You expect others to live up to your impossible standards. Because you tend to lack empathy, you often tear others down or use abrasive or demeaning humor towards who, th those who do not meet your standards. This is often, by the way, this is often parents. Often parents are, fall into this category because our kids may not live up to the expectations that we put before them. So often, we will put our... We will use this, and so we will call them names, we will do things instead of uplifting them, and if they don't live to the standard that we put before, uh, the, the standard that we've created, not that, not that God that you prayed about, that God put before you going, hey, this is where my child's going to land, this is where it should be, but the standard that you created has made it to where your child doesn't live up to that. And so you've gone, hey, you're not, you're not being perfect, and a lot of times we end up creating some stuff like that. Now, there is the spiritual side of perfectionism. There is. And it sounds like a psychological problem, but really the root of it is spiritual. See, perfectionism is the perfect mask for insecurity. Perfectionism is the perfect mask for insecurity. That's really what it is. You're covering for sin is what you're doing at that point. You're covering for sin. On your own, you can never be perfect enough for God. You can't. You should know that. We should just be clear here. On your own, you can never be perfect enough for God. 
And so then it brings this question. Here's the question for you is that why do we have the law then? Why do we have the law? If we can't be perfect enough for God, why do we have the law? And, and we were given the answer here. In Romans 3.20, it says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the Pharisees have 613 different laws, right? 600 different. So one, by the way, on your best day, how many of you can tell me the Ten Commandments? All ten of them. I mean, some of you are worked in ministry, so you cannot say, I, I can do it. But really, how many of you can tell that, you know, like you can just go through and go, this is what it is, this is what it is, and then just go ahead and repeat the whole thing. Not, not just what you say. Do not, you know, obviously some of them are really simple, right? Do not steal. You can see. But can you quote the whole thing? Because that's what the expectation was for the Pharisees is that you should know all 613 of these. Most people can barely name the 10, let alone 613 of them. You know, how many, so, and I love doing this exercise. This is my favorite exercise that we get to do in here. So I just want you to mentally prepare. I want you to close your eyes for one second. And if you're at home, close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> so close your eyes for one second. And so here's what I want you to do. Just raise a hand, keep it up. If it, one of these applies to you. So uh, have you ever, have you ever lied? Right? One hand up, right? Right? Just keep it up. Just keep it up. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, you know, we're not going to get you so tired. We're like, oh my God, my arm's been up so long. No, we're not going to do that. Have you ever coveted your neighbor's property? Have you ever wanted something that you don't have? Just keep your hand up. Envy. Yes, have you ever had envy? All right. And then number, number three, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever stolen anything? Anything out there at all? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your eyes, keep your hands up, and look around the room. There's not a single hand. That's, everybody should have a hand up everywhere. And so I want you to know, welcome to the edge, where I'm here to make you feel good about yourself. And number two, you're in a room full of sinners. That, and, it's, and I think it's important for us to know that none of us are perfect. Each one of us has committed sin, and so we failed at do not steal, we failed at do not covet, and we failed at do not lie. And so automatically, we failed at, you know, right now, we could probably go through the rest of them, but we're already batting for, you know, 30% failure rate. That's terrible. Could you imagine if we added, if we failed at 613 other laws, it would be terrible as well. See, what you need to understand, until you see yourself as a sinner, you will never see yourself in need of a savior. Until you see that, you'll never, ever see yourself and see your need for a savior. How are we made right? Romans 3.22. We put the pen back. Thank you. <laughs> Still stole it in the first place, though, so it's already done. Nobody can, nobody can put back the half-eaten cookie, right? You know, it's just done. So, verse 322, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and in this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter who we are. Without Christ, we are nothing. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Without Christ, we are nothing. See, here's what it is. I was raised under this, under this mindset of perfectionism. So this is not going to come up here. And if you're following along at home, you have to go into the notes section of the live.edge.community and go into the notes and you'll see, you'll see this list. But number one, perfectionism, it's all about what I do. What I do. It's all about me. In perfectionism, it's all about me. It's all about who, what I do and me. And then also, here's this slide. If I obey God, God will love me. If I obey, God will love me. And I have to be perfect in order to win God's approval. This is what perfectionism is. What I do, it's about me. And if I obey God, God will love me. And then the last one is, is I, that's what it takes in order to win God's approval. Now, if you live under, under grace... It's about what Jesus has done. Yes. What has Jesus done? What has Jesus done for you? What is Je like, like, even if you don't think about all the things that it does daily, the, the wake up, the, the, all of the things that you had, that when you got into the car today, it started. Now, does that directly relate to Jesus? Well, you breathe and directly relates to Jesus, so yes. Right? All of those little actions. So grace is about what Jesus has done. And it makes it to where everything else is all about Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. 
And it's because that God loves us, we can obey. He gives us this choice. Because he loves us, he goes, okay, now you have this choice to go out and obey. You can still choose to go against me, and then all of a sudden, does that really show an act of love, or is that an act of disobedience, right? What, what is it? And then instead of trying to seek God's approval, we're living from God's approval. But, you know, God already approves of you. So here's the thing you have to understand. God made and created each and every one of you, all of you, each and every single one of you, God made, created, and breathed life into you, right? Gave you that spirit. And so for you, you have to start going. He are, you have to realize that on that day, he already approved of you. He looked at you and he said, this is my creation. You have to walk in that simplistic thing. The day you took your first breath, that, that spirit of life that was breathed into you, all of a sudden, you're already having to start moving in that direction of God already approves of you. You wouldn't be here if God didn't approve of you. So now how do you live from that point forward? How do you live to go, okay, this is what God has for me. And see, when you live under a position of grace and Jesus and that God has already approved of you, it takes so much pressure off of you to be perfect. It removes so much of the perfect. You're like, I don't have to be perfect because this is what Jesus has already done for me. This is what already has happened. And because the pressure is off, you get to choose people over perfection, right? Because the pressure is off, you get to choose people over perfection. Perfect example. In Luke 10, Mary and Martha, right? My, one of my, I, I quote this often. If you've been here long enough, you know that we've had this conversation about Mary and Martha. And so let's just start there. And so <laughs> the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you were worried and upset about all of these details. There is only one thing to be concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. So just think about this. Just think about this. Martha wants to just nag and complain about this and going, hey, I did all of this work. I did all of this to get house ready. I wanted to make it perfect for you when you showed up. I wanted it to be I wanted that when you walked in, it didn't smell like the dog had just been in the bathroom or, you know, like, like I wanted the house to be absolutely perfect for you. And we all do this, right? I mean, if you have guests coming over, what do you do? Hey, we should clean this place. We, we might want to get this place a little cleaned up for people. Why? Why? Because, you know, they don't want to see how you really live. You don't want people showing up and be like, man, you live like this. This is, this is way out. Here's the funny part, though, is that when people show up and they see that, they probably live almost identical to how you live. They show up to your house and you're like, your house is a wreck. And yet their house looks like a tornado went through it as well. <laughs> you know, and see, the problem is, is that Mary knew what was more important. Mary knew what was more important. She, it's all she wanted to do. And so I just imagine, so don't, don't think of the furniture that we have today, right? We have this, we have this amazing furniture. You know, I, th I think that you look at things, and not just what we have now, but if you look at our houses, we just go, wow, you know, sectionals and all this different stuff. They didn't have that back then. So imagine the chair back then would be the stool. So, you know, if you could just find it just in your mind, you can imagine a beat-up stool. Uh, you know, just imagine, because, you know, Mary and Martha weren't known to have a whole lot of money, right? You know, so they probably had something that was a hand-me-down from a generation ago or whatever, and so they got this stool and Jesus is sitting on the stool, and I can imagine that Mary is just sitting on the floor, it, complete, looking up at him just in complete awe, and just spending time. And see, here's the thing, he goes, this is what's more important, people over this other stuff that you got going on. Now, that doesn't mean, I, I'm not giving you permission, just leave your house a wreck, right? I, I didn't just say, hey, you should just let it, you, you know, don't clean up, but you should, if, if God has provided you with a home, if God has said, here, here this is your home, then you should treat it as if it's God's, right? And you should take care of it as if it's God's, and you should clean it as if it's God's. But I think that when you start putting people first, it helps take the pressure off. It takes pressure off of all these things. I mean, we get so upset. Like I see people, they get upset about the pillows not being right and the socks on the floor. And I get it. I get it. I get it. When somebody pees on the toilet seat, somebody should clean it up. But you never know, the toilet might not flush in that house. So they're just trying to figure out what to get done. You, you just don't know certain things. You have to get to the point where you're choosing people over their perfection, over your perfection, and over the perfection of everything else around you. These external circumstances, you have to get better at this. 
Number two, choose perfect love over perfect performance. Choose perfect love over perfect... See, we already said, perfectionism is covering up for your deepest fears, right? Your fear is often inadequacy, rejection, and intimacy. That's just really what it comes down to. When you're perfectionism, you're trying to cover up for your inadequacy in something, you being rejected from something, or your intimacy. And that's what happens. The house has to be absolutely perfect before people come over because you're afraid that they're going to reject you because you're a slob. It's just happening. That's what it is. If you're if you're perfection, if you got to go through and you got to you got to put on all kinds of makeup and everything else in order for you to be around your spouse, you're afraid of what it's going to look like in your intimacy issues. You have to just be like, hey, this is who I am. This is what you married, buddy. You know, and be done. Be done with it. You know, um, and there's an issue that it takes time to get through that stuff. There's all we're raised with such things that we have. You know, we're we're raised if if you. If you look at what kids are raised with now, look at social media, look at this stuff. But back then, they, we were raised with Cosmos, and we were raised with GQ magazines, right? And so you go, I got to look like that, and I got to look like that. And you know, and when you get to that point, you go, I, very few people look like that, right? That's the reason why those people are paid to be in magazines. Could you imagine if everybody looked like that? They wouldn't have to pay people to be models. They'd just take pictures of everybody. Be like, yep, you're good, you're good, you're good. Got a magazine, it's out there. You know, I, I mean, but that's the thing is that, that you have to. Have, there's only select people that have to have that way. See, you have to get better at choosing love over performance, you know, and, and, and so I know that some of you are going, Mike, are you telling me that I don't have to be perfect? Because Jesus said I did, right? Because I think that that's kind of what I just said in the last 10 minutes. I should give you the context of the sermon in, in Matthew 5. He wasn't talking about, he was, it was not just behavior and performance, he was talking about love. Let's go, so we're going to look at 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Because aren't not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, he's not telling us to be without sin. The word that is used there is teleos, T-E-L-I-O-S, teleos. It's the word that he's using there. It's not to be without sin. It's to be perfectly mature. It's to grow up, to be complete. See, your eight-year-old isn't perfectly grown and mature, right? That's what it is. You're 20, and if you're expecting your 24-year-old to be perfect and mature, let me tell you, I have a 24-year-old. And that's not the case. It's not working out that she's perfectly mature. But what you're asking them is to get to this point where you're starting to fulfill your purpose. And so Jesus says your purpose here is the context that's in the beginning of this. He's going to love. Be perfect in your love. Love people. Help people. Be there for people. Don't just love the people who love you. That's easy, right? It's easy to tell somebody that I love you when, they are, when they're repeating it to you, right? I love you. I love you too. But it's tough to tell somebody I love you right after they just told you to go blank yourself. You know, it, it, but I will tell you, when you do it, it stops every fight and it's tracks. I want you to know this. If somebody goes, hey, let's go step outside. And you're like, all right, let's go outside. Right? I, I mean, they don't tell me that often because I'm an ogre. But, <laughs> but if you go outside and they go, what are you going to do? I'm just, I love you. What do you, how do you think that they respond? They're going to go, what? What, what, do, what do you think happens? <laughs> love is a magnificent thing because you can change the direction of a conflict by just showing love. By just going, I'm here for you. I want to see the best of you. I, want, I, just, I just, you know, and it's not to be without sin because that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's just talking about be perfect in love. Be perfect in love. You know, and it says your, your perfect purpose is a is to love God and to love people, right? Isn't that what he told us? Yeah. He's all I want you to do two things. He really said I want you to do three things, but in this case he says do these two things. But the third thing, right, that he says go out and make disciples, he's given us the great commission, actually falls into the second thing. So he said I want you to do two things. I want you to love God. So what does that look like? Loving God means obeying God, following God's direction for your life, doing what God has asked you to do. Loving people is, we, we call it the golden rule often, right? Treat others how you want to be treated, right? I, I, 
It's, it's like the simplistic thing. Treat others how you want to be treated. But for us, it's more than that. Not only are we supposed to treat others how we want to be treated, but we're also supposed to go, how do I help you go from hell to heaven? Right? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pivot people from this direction. All of us, each and every one of you in this room, whether you believe in God or not, or you believe in Jesus, that Jesus died for your sins, I want you to know something is that you are promised eternity. You're going to get eternity. You, will, you're, you are here. Your spirit will live on forever. Now, your, your, your body will come to a cease at some point, but you will live on forever. And knowing that, knowing that there's one of two destinations. When you got on the train, you know, this train that we call life, it led to one of two places. You either get to go to hell or you get to go to heaven. And so our job is to get as many people as possible off of the express train to hell and get them on to the path that leads to heaven. That's our job. That's what we have to do. We have to be on a mission to try and reach people. Because here's the thing, is that how many of you, just, just really quickly, if you look around the room, how many of you have family that don't go to church, that don't know who Jesus is, and whether that's online, whether that's wherever, right? How many of you have that? Just, you know, how many of you have friends and family that are that way, right? Friends and family that just are not connected to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you got to show up to church every time, but we know people that way. Here's the thing, they don't know Jesus, guess what they don't know? They don't know heaven. They don't know heaven. They know the stories of heaven. They hear the streets are paved in gold, right? But, but, they don't, but they don't know that they're going there. And see, that is the problem. And so for us, if you truly love people and you're truly doing what God has commanded you to do, and you're going, I'm going to love others, that means getting them from where they're at on the express train to hell to get them onto the path that leads to heaven. And that has to be what our mission is. And we have to start going. So, you know, when it comes to, just think about this. Say your cousin Tom, and sorry, Tom, I know you're in the room, but, uh, <laughs> but if your cousin Tom is walking down the wrong street, going to the, going to the wrong destination, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you go, hey, I'm going to, I'll be right back from work. I'm going to go take care of this. I got to go, I got to get them back on the right path. But we're not doing that for, and that's just going to the wrong store or whatever, we're not doing it for people that are going to spend all of their eternity in hell. We're not actually going, hey, hey, stop where you're going. Come back this way. We're not showing them that perfect love. This is the most simplistic thing we can do. It costs nothing. You don't have to pay for an LED screen. You don't have to pay for an iPad. You don't have to pay for anything. It's free to point people to Jesus. Literally all through Acts, you very rarely see them. It says, and it costs five shillings. No. No, they, they went down to the river. They didn't go to the in-shaped pool and baptize people. They didn't go to this place. They didn't have to wait for this awesome opportunity. Let's go down to the river. Let's baptize now. Let's do this. Let's pray right now. When somebody said, hey, can you pray for me? They were like, yes, let's pray right now. There was no delay. There was no, hey, let's wait a few days. Let's see what God has to say about praying for you. No, no. It wasn't that way. And, and they did life together. It wasn't one of these things, hey, let's, let's come together Sunday morning for 40 minutes while Mike talks, and then we'll leave, and then we'll go spend no time with one another and probably very little time with Christ as well. Right? That's not what it was about. It says literally they broke bread often. Often. That means that they did it more often than once a week. Right? I, I, you know... Barna Research came out, and so Barna does all these church research things. So if you ever hear me quote Barna, it's because I was being a perfectionist and read that and said, well, I suck in comparison to these other churches. But, but often, Barna Research comes out with these things. And so the average attender, average church attender, now went from, they used to attend church, by the way, 35 years ago, weekly attendance, church attendance, it was just a normal thing. People did it, right? They didn't, you didn't have to compete with softball. You didn't have to compete with soccer. You didn't have to compete with anything. Country shut down on Sundays until church was over. That's the reason why football games start at 1 p.m., by the way. In case you didn't know that, football games start at 1 p.m. on Sundays because of church. And, and they also weren't nationally televised like they are now. So, but they started at 1 p.m. so that people could go to church and show up to the game. People didn't do soccer. People didn't do any of those things. People went to church. Well, then... We started getting more technology, we started getting more connected, we started getting more stuff. And so people went from attending church every week, four times a month, to three times a month, right? It just started happening. 
right? And then we started having more things happening, and more things happening. And then we went from attending church from, from three times to every other week. And then we went from every other week to once a month. And then we went from, right now, people that show up to church on, a, on what we will call a, 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 a semi-monthly basis. Every other month, consider themselves to be regular attenders at church. People that show up to Christmas and Easter services consider themselves to be regular attenders at church. There's nothing regular about something that happens annually, right? Just if, if you were to go to your doctor and your doctor goes, hey, are you using the restroom regularly? And you're like, yeah, I do it once every three weeks. They'd be like, we have to have you checked out. Because <laughs> you're full of whatever, right? <laughs> we, have to have a, we have to have a conversation, right? But even then, if they were to go, hey, are you using the restroom regularly? And you're like, I do it once a week. And they would be like, yeah, we still need to have you checked out. Once a week is not enough to spend time with God. So when God goes, I want you to regularly be, att- you know, regularly be attending, do, uh, Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake meeting together. Why? So that you can help build up others, right? That's really why. So you can help one another. So we can help be things. To- I'm way off on a tangent. I apologize. But, but that's the thing is that that's where we need to be at. We, we keep going, I wanna, I'm going to show up once a month. I'm going to show up once a quarter. I'm going to show up. And, and if you're one of those people... This isn't just for you. This is for, we got so much of a mindset that we're just going, how, we have to make it a priority. And I'm not just talking about Sunday services. Sunday services is just, this is the show. Right? This is not intimacy with God. This is the show. This is, this is you. I love, we, had, we had a guest speaker one time, and, and Mike Cheshire came in and said, this is the huddle. We come in to the huddle. We go out to run the play. We come in here, we go to the show, we hear, the, we hear, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do to get the inspiration, and then we go out and we run the play. This is not the play. There is not enough non-Christians in this room in order to say we're reaching people that are far from God. No, we're not. We're reaching Christians in this room. We're doing, this message is going to Christians. Those that are watching online, going to Christians. Those that are going to watch this later, going to Christians. We very, very rarely get the first-time experience of somebody walking in and they go, Oh, I've never been to church, never even heard of church, walking in here for the first absolute time, and, and this, this message of God is awe-inspiring. That's, that's very rarely that what happens. Very, very rarely. In fact, it'd be like a once-in-a-million thing. Most of the time, people walk in this door because they're pissed off at the church they left. That's really what it is. They walk in, they had, they had a problem, it's a commute issue, it's this, it's that. It's never about going, I'm here to help you love on this community. I'm here for this. I'm here for that. I, I'm here because I wasn't, it, the answers you get often is I'm here because I wasn't fed or I'm here. Be, and by the way, I'm grateful all of you are here. This message is, this is not what I'm talking about, like directed towards anybody in this room. This is directed towards the mentality that we walk into church with and the mentality that we serve with and the mentality that we're doing things. Our job is outside of these walls to go get people, to get them to where they have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we go, hey, we got to build the edge. No, a byproduct of doing what God has asked us to do will cause the edge to grow, but will also cause all of these churches in this community to grow. And see, that's the thing. If you add up all of these churches in Fairfield Sassoon, just think about this. I know for a fact there's 59 churches here in the community. Now, there may be some home groups and stuff like that that I don't know about. 59 churches. Let's say that all of them can seat 100 people. All of them. Most of them can seat more than that. Some of them can seat double that. Some of them can seat thousands. Well, let's just say we're talking about 100 people. 59, take the two zeros, add it on, 5,900 people. That's what we're talking about. If every church was full, packed at 5,900 people, we're only reaching 4% of the population in Fairfield and Sassoon. Do you not think that the harvest is plentiful? Do you not think that there's that the other 145,000 people that are going to hell are not worth it? Do you think that God doesn't love them? Do you think that God doesn't care about them? Do you think that we shouldn't be out there going, how do we love them? How do we help them grow? How do we help them transform their lives from a path that leads to hell to, a, to the path, to the only small and narrow path that leads to heaven? In our, we, we have to start taking some more responsibility of what the Great Commission really looks like and how well we're loving others. We can go, I love others really well. You know, I don't spit on them, I don't call them names, I don't do this. That's not loving people. Because you're not actually taking them from the direction that they were going, which is the wrong direction, and putting them and helping them. You don't have to put them, right? You're never going to be like, hey, all right, you suck. Here's the right path. They're not your child. 
It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's going to take you having a relationship with them. It's going to take you having coffee with them. It's going to take you loving them. It's going to take you breathing life into them. It's going to take you going, hey, tell me about what's happening. Tell me about what's going on in your life. Tell me, what's your name? Who are you? How can you tell somebody that, they're, that, hey, you're on the wrong path if you don't even know their name? How can you say you love somebody? Hey, love you, brother. Don't know your name, but we'll just keep going with brother. Because that's what we do. That's, that's where we're at. It, it's, it, it's terrible. And I know, like I said, I, I already told you just a few lines ago, welcome to the edge where I'm here to make you feel good about yourself. But here's the thing is that we are called to be kingdom workers. And, and see, each, and I'm going to just give you another heads up thing here, and everybody that's watching this, each one of you, see, we've gotten too comfortable with the trained professionals doing the job. Hey, I'm going to be, and so the trained professionals are going to be the one that shares the gospel. The trained professional, the one that went to seminary, went to Bible school, that's the only person who can share the job, the, 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 the gospel, that's the only person who can talk about Jesus. That's the, and see, that's not what you read in scripture. And so the problem is we've gotten so comfortable with only the trained professional that we have forgotten each and every person in this room is a minister for God. Each and every one of you is a minister. Your job is to go out and minister to people. All of you are ordained. You've all been selected. You've all been chosen to do the job. Paul literally calls you to the, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. All of you. He didn't just say, oh, to the three individuals that I'm writing this letter to. That letter was written to where it was read out in the church. All of you need to do these. All of you need to go out and do this work. All of you need to go out and love. All of you need to go out and help minister to people. Stop relying on the guy who's the trained professional up in the front to do the work that comes off as inauthentic to those that are on the street struggling. Just telling you right now. If I, if I'm the guy who's doing all the ministering, at some point, I come off as fake to those that are hurting. At some point, I might have a great relationship with some people, but I come off as the wrong guy to be able to reach somebody because my testimony is not like that. Your testimony, so I just you look around the room, you go, there's enough of us in here to share a testimony where we can, it's six degrees of separation. You guys know that, right? You know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that gets you to where you want to go. So start getting there. Start doing what you're supposed to do. Start reaching people. Start whoever you're trying to get to, whatever you need to be doing, start doing the work and just loving. Stop being haunted with the fear of feeling inadequate. Stop being haunted with the fear of going, I'm going to fail. Failure is for people. uh, By the way, if you didn't know this, you should know this now. Failure, fear of failure is actually a fear of success and fear of risk. You will never be successful and you'll never do what God asks you to do if you're afraid of failing. You will fail, you will make mistakes, you will have things that come up, and you have to continue to work through them. Failure is a stepping stone to success. That's really what it is. And so you want to have success in reaching people, plan to fail at reaching them. There will be plenty of things that you do. There's plenty of things that we did as a church that we go, well, that did not work. (laughs) That was terrible. Let's try something else. But if we gave up, could you imagine if we gave up the first time we did something? We'd be like, well, you know, uh, that didn't work, so let's just fold up everything and be on our way. It just doesn't work that way. And you have to stop getting this mindset of you're never going to measure up. Measure up to who? Who are you measuring up to? Right? Because number one, you're, you're, are, are you buying stature or by success? Or what are you trying to measure up to? Because I'm going to tell you something that in the end, you know, remember Lazarus, right? Lazarus is, is in heaven looking down on the rich dude. Can you imagine? I would, it, it really... If it wasn't a Bible story, Lazarus up there laughing at him. Ha ha, see, you should have gave me some stuff while I was waiting out on your curb. Right? I mean, come on. If it wasn't a Bible story, that's what would happen. He'd be like, you know, he'd be looking out. Oh, you want some water? You know. Isn't that what you would do? I mean, just think about it. I mean, some of you are like, oh, no, 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 I'm too good of a Christian. You know, I'm just kidding. But that's, but that's how it is. You you'd be like, oh, you want to, you let me sit on the street for this long. You, but, and so could you imagine? So when you're thinking about this, you're, we're going to people that are going to be standing on the side. And I don't think that you actually can stand on the side and look down into hell and see everybody that's there. Cause I don't think that that becomes perfection, that that becomes torment for us. It makes us feel guilty while we're in heaven. So I don't think that happens, but could you imagine if you're looking down there and you see friends, you see family, you see all those things, what are you trying to measure up to? 
Are you trying to measure up to how many people you let go to hell? Or are you trying to measure up to how many people I helped send to heaven? What are you measuring up to? See, the problem is we're going, I need to measure up to money. I need to measure up to success. I need to measure up to this job. I need to measure up to this. I need to measure up to having this as a status symbol, these things. Or do we need to measure up and go, and this is what God has asked me to do. This is the direction he asked me to go. And this is what he asked me to do while loving people. Because in that case, there's plenty of people, like when you start thinking about it and you, you start thinking about who measures up to this. Like you look at, anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Anybody? Yeah. Right? Billy Graham, you wouldn't think about this. Well, he started all these ministries, had all this stuff. You don't think about it going, oh, is he rich? Right? He was known for reaching for people. I, I've, I, uh, <clears throat> I've never met Billy Graham. I wish I would have had an opportunity to. But uh, I know, I have a friend of mine, uh, his name's Nelson, who met <clears throat> and had dinner with Billy Graham. This is, so this is years ago. And so Billy Graham came over to his house, and he had dinner. And he sat at the end of the table, and it was him and his wife. And they were talking about being church planters and the struggle that they were having. And, and Billy asked Nelson to give him the sermon that he had preached the last week. And he, and he said this, and he told Nelson, this is the best sermon that I've ever read. That's what he told him. This is the best sermon that I ever read. And, and Nelson goes, no, 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 you're lying. And he goes, He's all, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the best one that I've read. He's all, from you. He's all, this is the best one I've read from you. And then when he's, he asks his, his, his wife, he goes, well, what do you do? And, and, and she goes, I, I lead worship at the church. And he said, would you, would, you, would you sing me in hymn? And so she sang to him right there at the dinner table. And he, said that, and, he, and he sat there with his eyes closed, and he listened, and he said, that's the most beautiful hymn I've ever heard sung. And, he, and, and see, the thing was, is that he, that alone made it to where it would be an experience that they would share and share and i shared because of their experience because that's how they that billy graham made them feel worthy adequate and that they were on the right track for success so here's the thing is that what you do with people are you making them feel that they are worthy that they are loved and that they are on the right track for success that they are going where god asked them to go or do you walk up and you'd be like mm, you're stupid you do this, and you do that wrong, and you did this wrong, because that's not the right track for success. That's the right track to lead them to walk. Well, the, to, and, and then you call yourself a Christian. Well, guess where that leads them? Well, away from Christians, and away from Christianity, and away from God. And all of a sudden, they don't know who Jesus is, or they know Jesus for all of a bunch of people that are hypocrites. Ah. We get to this mindset of going, I have to have my performances, my achievements, and really it covers up our deepest insecurities and our inadequacies. We want to show how good we are. Look at how good I am. Look at how, instead of showing how good God is. And see, that's where we've gotten to. How good is God? Here, here, think about this. Think about this. How good is God? Think about your past, right? Think about all the things that you did in your past. All the things that you, no, the things that nobody knows about, the things that people know about. Think about all the things that you did. He still loves you. All the stuff that you've been through, all the places you've gone, all the things that you've done, all of that, he still loves you through all of that. That's how good he is. He loves through all of the things. Even when you said and you cursed his name and you did all those things, God still loves you through that. You know, it's, the, it's like a kid that falls down. When your kid falls down, what do you do? You run over to them, you hug them, you pick them up. And it, 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 What do you think God's trying to do? When we fall down, when we have all these things, we try, he's trying to run over, give us hugs, and, and, and you know, uh, give you kisses on his own little boo-boo. That's what he's trying to do, make you feel all better. And it's got to be people over perfectionism. That's what it's got to be. And it's got to be perfect love over perfect performance. That, our minds have to have this shift, and we have to have this direction, and we have to go, I love people, and I want to see the best in them, and I want to see them move in a new direction rather than the direction they're going right now. As if we just took every church and we said they're all packed, that's 5,900 people here. There's plenty of people out there to be talking to. There's plenty of people out there to be loving on. There's plenty of people going, hey. And it, like I said, it's not about going, hey, you should come to my church. No, no, no. You should just get into a Bible-believing church, a church where Jesus is preached at. Somebody said you can, because it's different strokes for what? Different folks. Different folks right? Not everybody's going to love what we do here. Not everybody's going to love what they do at the church down the street. Not everybody's going to love what they have to the next place, right? They've just got to find their place. And so when you, when you find a church, you can get connected. You go, this is where I need to be at. And you get to this, and, and then that's just what it needs to be. 
That's how we have to, you know, we have to go, I'm going to, this is where I'm connected at. This is where I'm doing the work that God asked me to do, and this is how I'm going to continue to move in a direction to honor and do what he's asked me to do. Where we have to be at. Why don't we do this? It's 1115, why don't we, let's pray and worship our way out. We're going to do some giving, by the way, so don't, don't, don't disappear on me yet, and don't hang up that uh, you know, phone yet, but <laughs> we're going to do some of that. Why don't we pray, though? So let's start there. Father, help me. Uh, Father, help us. Help us put you first. Number one, Jesus told us to love you first, and so help us to put you as our first and foremost to where everything else that we do falls because of what you have asked us to do. So the new priority list is having you as number one in our lives and to be able to move in this direction that, that is a way of an act of obedience because we love you and we love what you have done for us in the direction you're putting in our lives. With that, we ask that you help us start to see with your eyes, to love with your heart, and to just go out and be part of this community in such a way that we, that we show and, and just have this, this love ooze off of us, to where we don't have this animosity and this anger or this, this shame or this act that we have to be perfect, that we just get to go out and be who we are, to love who, as, we, as we are, and to just go out and, and to love others to help people, to guide them, to help put them back on the right path, to share our testimony, to share our stories, to share what God has been doing in our lives. Not to say that we're perfect, but just to say, God, look, look, look at where God has taken me from there to here. And so, God, we ask that you help each one of us have the courage and the strength to live our faith and to live our lives boldly, to make it to where we're not just we're not just closet Christians to where we show up on, on Sundays and maybe do a Bible study, but, but we're out living it each and every day to where we go out and everybody, people just know it. We don't have to call ourselves Christians. We just, they just know that there's something different about us and they want what we have. Father, help us love. Help us love like you love. Help us love sacrificially to where we give when we don't know where the next one is going to come from, that we give the shirt off of our back, that we just continue to give our time and we make people first. We, make them, we help them see the best in themselves. We help them see that they're moving in the right direction when they are. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for this, this ability to be able to do the work that you've allowed us to do. We, we, we look for different directions of how we can run, but yet we continue to find that we land back to where we're staring you in the face going, God, lead me. Point me in the right direction. You would have the work that you would ask. Thank you for the breakfast that we had this morning. Thank you for the hands that helped prepare all of this. Thank you for all the planning that just went through all of this last week for, for the encounter that someone had today. Father, thank you. Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're gonna we're gonna shift, and uh, it is you know we we.